it starts with humility. It starts with, like you said, offering value first. Don't put yourself first. Put the person you're talking with first and really listen to them. Be present with them. Be aware of their needs. There are so many companies that are trying to drive the omni lowest cost provider. You're never going to win. And if you're looking to stand out from the crowd, your messaging is going to fall flat as soon as you're no longer the lowest price. So stop doing it. LinkedIn traditionally has been a social media platform mainly used for professional networking, including employers posting jobs and job seekers posting their resumes. For the past 12 months, social influencers like Gary Vaynerchuk have revolutionized LinkedIn as a place to share status updates, articles, and interact within a business or professional context. Vaynerchuk says because the platform is still relatively early, LinkedIn has made the organic reach insanely high. And he adds, it's where Facebook was five to seven years ago. Jennifer Glass is a business growth expert and is the author of It's the Bottom Line That Matters, Quick Tips and Strategies You Can Use Right Now to Grow Your Business in the Next 12 Months. Jennifer, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me today. I appreciate it. And I would love to start with LinkedIn. Um, it is just blowing up, as, as we both know, and would love to know how you use it as a sales tool for yourself. That's a great question, Roger. So Gary V is amazing, by the way, what he does. I've been a loyal follower of Gary's for quite some time and uh, been watching a lot of the things that he has been saying. In terms of LinkedIn, though, there's a couple of things that so many people keep getting wrong. And if it's okay, I want to kind of touch on those first. So that way, anyone who's listening is going to know what they need to clear up so that they can then start using it as a tool in their business. So first things first, a lot of people still, for whatever reason, are using LinkedIn as a resume. Folks, it's not meant to be a resume. It is meant to be a business networking tool. I don't care what you did 30 years ago unless it's directly relevant to what you're doing today. So if 30 years ago you were working at McDonald's, are you going to say that you're working at McDonald's on LinkedIn? Unless you're the CEO of McDonald's today and you went all the way from working behind the flipping the burgers all the way to the CEO, it isn't relevant to your story. So please get rid of it, right? If it's not related to what you're doing today. And by the way, if you're still in the food services industry, you may want to say, you know, McDonald's. But if it isn't relevant to your story, get rid of it. That's the first thing. Second thing is stop making LinkedIn all about you. So many of us, you know, we have a problem in business. We love talking about ourselves and that's just a humanity issue. We love talking about ourselves. We love hearing ourselves. We love patting ourselves on the back. LinkedIn is not meant to be that area though. For us to do that. You want to use Facebook for that, Instagram for that, by all means. Those are platforms specifically dedicated to creating the life that you want to live, even if it's just 
a virtual life living in Facebook. LinkedIn is meant to be about what you can do for the people that are visiting your profile. So if you are writing your profile in a way that's all about me, in terms of me, the prospect, not me, the writer, you're going to be in a much better position than if you're going out and you're saying, I am great at this. I'm great at that. It's like the old social media meme that went out. What is, you know, ice cream, Facebook, I'm eating ice cream, Twitter, I'm eating ice cream with this LinkedIn. I know the skill of ice cream and how to make it right. Those are the things that you want to be focused on in what you're doing. It's not something that's out there that's meant to be all about you. It's meant to drive interest from the people that are on the network. Remember, Microsoft spent $26 billion to buy LinkedIn a number of years ago because they saw the value in the platform. There's 1 billion users of Windows that are out there on the planet right now. Microsoft made that investment because they're trying to get even more of their 1 billion Windows users to be using LinkedIn also, and all of the Office tools. If you look at Office 365, what's out there, they're incorporating LinkedIn into the Office 365 suite of services. And it's all designed to maximize the business connectivity and the business value of the platform. So if you're writing something there and you're saying, I am great at doing this and I'm great at doing that and I can do this and I can do that for you, well, guess what? Unless you're going to add these words and what this means for you is, it's going to fly over their head. You want to write about you, take what this means for you is, and then now bring it back to what it means for your prospect. Bring it back to what it means because when you're looking at those pieces and you're seeing, all right, I have LinkedIn and this is what it means to you. Now it starts to make that connection. But if you don't have that, start rewording your profile, figure out how to write it in a way that your ideal prospects are going to be wanting to see you and then do that. Brilliant, Jennifer. I, I'd love to know, how did you figure this out? Was this trial and error? Was this, did you take training? Was, how did you, because the way you framed it, and it makes so much sense, especially the ice cream example, right? Um, how did you come into understanding um, LinkedIn? And then as a follow-up, what results have you seen, you know, by making these changes? So I have gone through a lot of trial and error. I've also taken training um, and my friend Mandy McEwen from Mongrel Marketing, shout out Mandy. Uh, it's all about making sure that when you're looking at what you're doing, it is going to maximize the value. But it's also though looking at throughout the years, all of the edits and everything that I have done before I even found Mandy that started allowing me to hone in and get the benefits that I wanted. I am one of those people that is not content leaving good and well enough alone because if I can improve on it, I know I'm going to make a benefit. I'm going to find that benefit. So I got deals that came to me that were seven-figure deals 
on the LinkedIn platform. This was before I even started looking at Mandy and taking Mandy's uh, program and then incorporating Mandy, my experience, my marketing know-how, and then bring that into my own optimization solution that I help clients uh, work on. But as far as LinkedIn is concerned though, I have found so many deals through the platform. I have given benefits to people and it's all those different ways by making those minor adjustments and the major adjustments that continue to make the difference. And it's not something that it's a, as the old uh, Ronco commercial said and then forget it for those of us of a certain age. Once you know what you're doing, you cannot leave it alone. It's not a set and forget it program. You need to constantly be making the edits. You want to be telling people what you do. You want to be telling them what you offer, what they can expect to get from you. And you want to be calling out specific niches. But the thing is, though, don't say I'm relying on this one niche for a year. I'm relying on this niche for three years. Because the truth is, after a while, you're going to lose the ability to find people in that niche you didn't already attract or that you didn't somehow try and reach. So you got to move on. All of us are focused in our business and you really want to be niching down in your business to not be a one size fits everyone uh, kind of service provider. But if you're looking at what you're doing in your business, if you can say right now you're working with retail businesses, tomorrow you may want to offer your solution to online businesses because there may be that crossover that'll easily connect. Or you may want to go into a service business because that will make more sense in the next iteration of where you want to be in your business. So looking at what it is that you're doing, you need to be putting all of those pieces in. And those are the things that you need to continue looking at as you're growing on LinkedIn. Fantastic. Can you walk us through a typical relationship that would be built on LinkedIn? So how would it start for you? And then what are the, what are the steps? Because so many people are making a mistake today by going right to the sale. Like, you know, you get inundated with these messages. I do this, I do that. You know, if you need this, if you need that. How do you avoid that type of, uh, you know, hard sell and how do you approach building relationships? Absolutely. And I get those invitations all the time. Today alone, I went through my invitation uh, list and I probably got about 10 or so of those invitations in the first 20 that I got. So it's one out of two, give or take, uh, that come in we do this and we want to work with you. Are you accepting those or no? I'm sorry? Are you accepting those invitations? Depending what the headline is. Uh, that's the simple answer. Okay. Uh, to get a little more involved, what I mean by that is if I'm looking at someone who writes me and they are someone that is talking to my ideal prospect, then I will connect with them. If they are completely irrelevant to me, then I'm going to completely ignore it. I mean, like I got one today, they're an oil and gas exporter. It's got no benefit that I can immediately connect to. If I really think about it, 
I can find a connection, but it's not worth my time and effort in trying to figure that out. So it's not going to be something there. But the other thing that I very often get also is I accept the invite. And then as soon as I accept the invite, they immediately start selling. So there's a couple of things that are working right now and not working right now in terms of invitations. And there's a lot of different schools of thought. Do you want to include a personalized note or do you not want to include a personalized note when you send the invitation? So I'm still of the school of thought, send a personalized note because at the very least, it's going to tell someone, hey, Roger, I'm connecting with you because I love what you're doing. Even if it's not salesy, right? But it's it's sharing something. Like there was one person in particular, uh, he he happens to live in the New York area where I do. And he has in his LinkedIn profile, he's been a lifetime New York Jets football fan. And he is miserable because they keep on losing. So I told him, I said, I didn't personally follow football, but my brother and sister-in-law are diehard Jets fans, and they're just as miserable as he is. (laughs) That wasn't Gary Vaynerchuk by chance, was it? No. (laughs) But uh, the idea, though, is I immediately started building rapport because I immediately connected with something that he said. Nothing to do with sales. Absolutely nothing. And what ultimately ended up happening was we ended up having a a couple of face-to-face meetings and we're working in a strategic partnership together because of that relationship. But what a lot of people are saying is more invitations are being accepted today without including any information, without including any invite uh, to someone. But you have to make sure no matter whether you include in text in your invitation or not, make sure that your headline says what you do. Because if you say, I'm CEO at Company X, I'm VP Sales at Company Y, you're not telling me anything. So if you're not going to include that message why you want to connect, you have to tell me exactly what it is that you want me to know. Otherwise, it's going to be ignored. So make sure your profile is optimized so that you're making sense to people and not just sending a blind invite. What you also want to do is after you connect with someone, you want to send a follow-up message and always add value, never sell. Never, ever, ever sell in the first touch. It's like people that go to networking groups and the only thing they want to do in a networking group is sell you. A rule in networking is you don't sell your own group. You look for the relationships. And if you're going to be selling everybody, You're going to be known as that sleazeball that nobody wants to talk to. So you have to add value. And what you do is you create that value. You share something of value with them. And by the way, it does not have to be anything directly related to what you offer. Like there's one thing right now. I recently put out a tips to help you boost your memory. It's not related to business coaching. It's not related to the services that I directly offer, but everybody needs tips to enhance their memory. There's so much stress that we're all under. Stress is a major cause of short-term memory loss. 
And if you can take a couple of steps to increase your memory, what is that going to do to your business? Right? All of a sudden now you're getting this free report, how to increase your memory. You think that's going to ultimately benefit you? Is that related to what I'm selling though? No, like I said, but they're going to find, hopefully find value in that report that they're going to say, you know what, let me share it with a couple of other folks because I know that they're going to see the same value. And so when you start a relationship by offering value, all of a sudden people then want to know more about you. But if you're going hard at sales, I'm going to ignore your messages. Well, look, I mean, everything you just said right there was uh, just gold, as I like to say. Um, And I hope people listen to that. And, you know, for our listeners, this is, you know, really important stuff because, you know, maybe even the younger generation that's coming up, they they just don't know yet or they don't have enough experience. But if if they take what you just said to heart, that I promise will be the difference in growing a network and um, actually being trusted right within within your network versus, as you said, people looking at you as just you know, someone who is out for a quick buck and trying to sell something to you. Right. And remember, it's all about the no like, and trust factor. If I don't know you, like you, or trust you, I'm not going to do business with you. 100%. 100%. Jennifer, I also know you like to talk about where to hang out, right? And uh, in some places you may be wasting your time and you're not where your avatars are. Can, Can you expand on that? Sure. So for those of you that don't know what an avatar is, and that's the first thing that let's, you know, kind of get out of the way. And I'm not referring, by the way, to James Cameron's Blue People. Great movie, but uh, not referring to uh, those blue people. I am referring to an ideal representation or a representation rather of your ideal client. So if you are selling a product geared at women, Pinterest may be a great platform for you to hang out on because it skews heavily towards women. If it's image driven, Pinterest and Instagram may be where you want to hang out because that is going to be where those kinds of, uh, the value will be seen. If you're a strict B2B player, wasting your time on Pinterest or spending your time on Pinterest is probably going to be wasting your time there because you're not going to be getting enough people to find you. And you want to really be where your ideal customers are. So if you're in B2B, you want to be on LinkedIn, right? We discussed a lot about LinkedIn. You want to be where your ideal clients are. If you are in the beauty care industry, Instagram, is where you're probably going to want to be. Pinterest is probably going to be where you're going to want to be. If you're selling something that does not take a whole lot of education, Facebook can be a place that you want to be. But you have to look at where your clients are and don't post everything across the board because you need to have messaging that's going to work in specific areas. For instance, Instagram is heavy on hashtags. Facebook is not. 
Facebook has hashtags, but if you look at certain people, they're going to be, what is this tic-tac-toe board, right? What is this pound sign doing on your post? And you're going to completely lose that audience. And if you're sponsoring posts and you've got hashtags, you're going to lose an audience. So pay attention to what your platform uh, expects and when people are actually on the platform. LinkedIn, people are on more during the day because it's a business platform. Facebook, Instagram, not as much during the day. But also, are you a global company or are you a local company? If you're a global company, pay attention to the fact 12 o'clock in New York in the afternoon could be two in the morning, you know, somewhere else, or it could be two in the afternoon somewhere. And, you know, just keep in mind, there's 24 hours in a day and anywhere across the globe, somebody is going to see content at different times. Know when your content is going to be engaging to certain types of people. Know what kinds of content make a difference. Do questions make a difference? Do polls make a difference? Do images make a difference? Do links make a difference? Do case studies make a difference? What is it that is going to make that difference? But also make sure you're not a one-trick pony, right? That you're not only posting uh, stuff about your business, right? You want to be posting influencing items, right? Show me that you're, that you're uh, broader in scope rather than just simply putting out, we're running a promotion tomorrow. We're running this sale today. We're running this program tomorrow. If all you're doing is that, you're going to get tuned out extremely quick. Make sure you're paying attention to what you're looking at. And go back and look at your last 10 posts. Is it all about you? Or are you trying to make a connection with people? Are you trying to network online with people? Are you sharing other people's content? So that way, when Roger sees that I posted something that Roger wrote, he's going to like me, right? And his audience is going to see me. There's a benefit to sharing other people's content. Don't get me wrong. But it's got to be, though, looking at it from the perspective of I'm not just doing this. I'm influencing. I'm networking. I'm selling. I'm listening. Those are all the things you want to be paying attention to on your posts. And if you look back at your last 10 posts and score them with that uh, basis, think about where that is and what that's really going to be doing for you. and then. Try splitting it up. And it doesn't have to be 25 for all four, 25%. But look at it. If I do three of this, one of that, two of that, and four of that, see how your engagement turns and what kind of value you start bringing the platform. Now, all of a sudden, it's going to be most likely a much better engagement rate from your overall audience. Again, that, that information is priceless, and thanks for dropping all that on us. What would you say on the frequency of posts? How often, as a rule of thumb, should people post? So again, it depends on the platform. If you're talking about Twitter, Twitter eight to 10 times a day is fine. Just make sure, again, keeping in mind the four pieces we mentioned, influencing, networking, listening, and selling. So that you're not just doing one over the others. Uh, if you're on LinkedIn, you can certainly be posting more often. 
Facebook, not more than two times a day. Instagram, one to two times a day is probably going to be the limit. And, you know, there's other platforms. Just make sure that what you're doing is going to make sense with your audience based on when they're engaging. And you'll see what the engagement rate is and how often they want you to be posting rather than you arbitrarily doing it. And then use tools, whether it's Buffer, Hootsuite, Meet Edgar, whatever. Um, there's all of those tools that will allow you to schedule out posts so that you can get content out there. Let's transition into branding, personal branding, and why people really should be th thinking about their brand all the time. Absolutely. So let me ask all of you listening. Obviously, I can't hear it because this is a recorded uh, session, but I want you to tell me, what is it that you are known for? Are you known because you're the branch manager at this bank? Are you known because you're a partner at this accounting firm or this law firm? Are you known because you're an influencer? Are you known because you are the CEO of a company? A lot of you are going to say yes. Here's why it's so important to think, though, about your personal branding. Very often, companies merge, companies close. And if you are known as the branch manager of this bank, what are you going to do tomorrow when the bank is swallowed up by another bank? Perfect example. The primary bank that I use, or the bank I use primarily for my business was just uh they completed their merger with a much bigger bank. And now a lot of those local banks are going to be closing. And a lot of those branch managers are going to either become assistant branch managers or lose their job entirely because the bank doesn't need them. So what do they do tomorrow? Well, the answer is if they branded themselves as someone who is specializing in the financial institution world, they can possibly find another position quickly because they're going to be seen as financial institution. If they put themselves out there and they said, though, that they are geared at helping small business owners improve their situation. Now, how does that differ? Right? They may get picked up by another bank, may not. Depends on the economy. Right Next year, if the economy's in recession, I'll guarantee you the banks are not going to be hiring a whole lot of people. But if they say, though, that they specialize in helping small business owners do X, Y, and Z, they can go anywhere. Right Tomorrow, they can sell hats. They can sell printers. They can sell telecom. They can do whatever because they branded themselves as them. They're not stuck to this particular industry and brand. You need to be looking at what it is that you're doing. And when it comes down to your personal brand, make sure that your brand follows you through all of your channels. Meaning, if you have a website, make sure the brand is the same on the website as I would see on Facebook, as I would see on LinkedIn, as I would see on Twitter, as I would see on Instagram, right? You're not, and there's a lot of those things, how I'm seen on Facebook, how I'm seen on LinkedIn, 
how I'm seen on Instagram, how I'm seen on um, Tinder. Right? Is that the Yeah, I think that's the network. Um, so if you're looking at those four and you're completely different, Tinder, of course, is different because it's dating. But those other ones, you want to be seen the same because it's got to continue. That's what personal branding is. It's making sure that you're not tying yourself into any given entity, right? CEOs. Look at the CEO of Papa John, the founder, right? He was known as the CEO of Papa John. Is he still? No. The board voted him out. So if his entire branding is CEO and founder of Papa John's, what happens tomorrow when he's no longer CEO and founder of Papa John's? What I really like about your style, Jennifer, is that you are so direct um, and, it, and it makes so much sense. It's very clear. And I would love to talk a little bit about how did you get here? You know, you're, you're so bright and confident. Um, I would love to know a little bit about your backstory and, um, you know, how you got to where you are today. Absolutely, Roger. So let me ask you, what was the first job you worked at? Not what you did, but how much you got, if you don't mind sharing. Like an hourly rate? Hourly rate. I was a paper boy, so hmm, I was probably making, you know, three or four dollars an hour. And you realized, assuming that paper boys ultimately grow up and move into real life, but as, if you didn't, you would quickly realize you can't do anything on three, four dollars an hour, right? right? So my first job was at eight dollars an hour. I knew there is no way I can do anything at $8 an hour, right? Not a chance. I was working in a Chinese restaurant, no chance getting anywhere in $8 an hour. So what I ended up doing was I went to work for a voiceover internet telephone company, a Netophone, for those of you that may have heard of the name. And I was lucky enough that through everything that I did in the company, I picked up a tremendous amount of skill. Total, I mean, my skill set increased dramatically. Sales, marketing, international sales and marketing, not just domestic. And I got a point where I actually got an $8 million deal in China made up of 25, 50, and $100 accounts. So it's not like he bought one widget for $8 million. You know, it was thousands and thousands of accounts that he committed to buying. And it allowed me to really start getting a lot more experience. I mean, yes, in school, I studied marketing. I studied business. I was a poli-sci major, though. Didn't get me that far as a poli-sci major. I was a business minor. Allowed me to really learn some tools, but as real-world learning, that completely changes you. You know, theory and real world, very different. But anyway, when I got my commission, I was getting $1,000 every time he wired in two, $300,000. It's one third to one half of 1%. Not going to do it. Not, I mean, I had a okay base, but it wasn't going to set me up for financial freedom. So what I started doing was 
I started looking at all these gurus, financial magazines, trade journals, coaches, finding people that I can directly connect with that would really dramatically change the trajectory of where I was to where I am today. And through my coaches and my mentors, I have found tremendous value in those people because you can see your situation. You can see what it is that you're facing right now. And you can say, I've got this going on. I've got that going on. But you can't see the forest for the trees. You need that third party set of eyes to look at where you are in your business and say, listen, Jennifer, you're being stupid. You're doing things that are going to make you work 365 days a year, 25 hours a day. By the way, we all know there's only 24, but 25 hours a day, 365 days a year to reach your goal in terms of where you want to be. Now, how many of you can find a way, first of all, to add at least one more hour a day? And that's not counting getting sleep, eating, spending time with your family or whatever else. Nobody? Really? Not a surprise. So my coaches told me, if you wanted to make what you want to do, you need to change your business model and you need to figure where you're going to make that difference in terms of all of those pieces. The impact that their advice made on me is huge. I'm not working for $8 an hour anymore. I'm not worrying about that $1,000 commission check when my client is sending me, you know, or sending the company these two $300,000 payments. I am now in a position where if you want to live the life you want to live, if you want to be in the position that you want to be, you need to focus on what it is that you're doing so that you can actually get there but you want the help of an outsider who can sit down, look at what you're doing and find that for you. And by the way, for all of those of you that are thinking, I don't have the money right now for a coach, I wanna share with you all an amazing resource that is primarily at no additional cost to you. You're already paying for it in your tax dollars if you're here in the United States. The Small Business Development Center. Okay, the SPDC. Full disclosure, I'm an ambassador for the SPDC. I work with my local uh, small business development center. I've been working with them for the last five years, I think it is now. And anyone that I speak with that needs it, the SPDC is an amazing resource. They have people that know what they're doing and a lot of what they offer is at no additional cost. And can you give us an example of, of what they do? Like why would someone go there and what would, what would they ask? What would they receive? Absolutely. So very first thing, how many of you use LegalZoom to create your company, right? A lot of us, because the ads, oh yeah, it looks so easy. Let me get LegalZoom to set up my business. You know what? You guys are investing $500 or more into LegalZoom's um, profit so that they can set up your business. Plus, by the way, state filing fees, that's not included, Right. If you're in the state of New Jersey, as an example, you pay, I believe right now it's $125 to set up your entity in New Jersey. But 
it's not just also how much it is that it's going to cost. It's an issue of, are you setting it up the right way? Do you know the difference between a sole proprietorship, an LLC, an S corp, a C corp, a nonprofit, and everything else that may be out there, you know, single member LLC, LLC as a partnership, a corporation, all of those different legal definitions are extremely important. You can work with your accountant. You can work with your uh, attorney to do that also because they're equipped to do that. But again, you're going to be paying them some sort of consulting fee to do that. The SBDC will work with you at no additional expense other than the filing fees to get you set up. And you'll understand the difference between what do I need? Do I need an LLC? Do I need a corporation? Do I need to be a nonprofit? And you won't have to spend the money to dissolve your entity and refile. I don't know how it works in other states. In New Jersey, if you file the wrong way, you have to pay the same filing fee to dissolve and then do it all over again. So all of a sudden, instead of 125, you now spent $375. Notice I said spent, not invested, because you wasted that money because you didn't do it correctly. The SBDC can help you with that. If you need a business plan, rather than going to someone like me, and I don't want to take business away, guys. I love business, okay? That's how I can afford what I need. But if you're looking for a business plan, the SBDC can help you. They have tools at their disposal that they can help you create that business plan. And who knows how to prepare a business plan better than you? Only you, right? I can go download any template I want. At the end of the day, though, that template means nothing. Because unless I'm going to really sit there and modify the template, the business plan means nothing, right? And you need it if you want to go to a bank to ask for funding. Without a template, I mean, without a business plan and something that makes sense for your business, a bank is going to say no. The other thing, by the way, also is when you work with the SBDC and they re refer you to their lenders, you have a much greater chance at actually securing a loan for your business, a small business loan, than if you went direct. Wow. So that's the advantage of the SBDC. And please, guys, if you don't have a relationship with your small business development center, reach out to me. Uh, Roger, I'm going to ask you to share my contact information so that everyone can contact me if they need a link, a connection to their local small business development center. What I will do is I will send you through my local SBDC. And as long as you tell me where you are, they will connect you with your local SBDC as well. Fantastic. Wow. Great information again, and not something you hear about every day. And it's everywhere, which is wonderful. So people should tap into that resource. I know we have one uh, actually in the same building where we record our podcast is the SBDC. So wonderful resource. And thanks again, Jennifer, for sharing that. So let's, uh, let's piggyback on top of that. You talked about uh, mentors being so important in your life to help get you to where you are but you are also a mentor. You're a coach. Let's talk about the power of coaching and what it means to you and all the people that you're helping out there. Absolutely. So again, if you start looking at a coach, one thing, by the way, that all of you want to be looking at and whoever you ultimately find, whether it's a mentor or a coach, 
make sure that the person can understand your business, that they can understand where you're coming from, and that you and they can see the ultimate long-term plan for your business. The other question that you wanna ask them is, what is it exactly that you're going to offer me in terms of health? In other words, are you only going to help me att um, attain a goal? Are you gonna help me sustain that goal? A lot of people can get to an extra $100,000 in sales. But what happens though, if right now we're talking about doubling your business, you start at 100 and you're getting an additional 100,000 in business. Are you going to be equipped for that? How quick are you going to be generating that $100,000, right? If you turn around and in two months, you increased what you did last year by 2X, are you going to have the facilities, the capabilities, the resources to actually fulfill the need? In other words, if I help you get a purchase order with Whole Foods as an example, and you get an $80,000 PO from Whole Foods, but you cannot fulfill the order under the terms, do you know you're gonna be subject to a 10% penalty on the PO and you will never get into Whole Foods again? If you don't see how you can do that and your coach is not clear how you're going to do that, stay away from that. You wanna be working with someone who has the resources the network and the faculties to help you not only attain the goal, but to sustain the goal, okay? It's also looking at, hey, for those of you that watch Shark Tank, I, I think Roger, you and I talked about that oh, before. Right. So if I'm watching Shark Tank and I see all of these entrepreneurs come on Shark Tank and going back to the Whole Foods example, they're selling 10, 20% of their business for $100,000 investment because they had that 80,000 PO from Whole Foods, Walmart, whatever. What are they doing to their business, right? They're selling the business today at today's valuation. They're not selling the business at tomorrow's valuation, right? What happens if you get a regional PO for Whole Foods and you sell through? Now Whole Foods is gonna wanna trial you on a national rollout, but you sold 10, 20% of your business already. So all of that bump up in value is based on what you got for that investment. There's resources, like I said, having resources that if you can take a line of credit, especially non-secured line of credit to help you in your business, don't you think that would be better? Because now I take a 100,000 line, or I take a 200,000 line to give me a little bit of wiggle room. I fulfill my 80. I don't have any equity that I gave up though for that. And I pay off the line. I pay off whatever interest fees, whatever I have on it. And I have access to this line, full line again, for me to draw on when I need it. Now all of a sudden you have a bank behind you. It's not individual. And by the way, guys, one thing about small business loans, not every bank is going to give you a small business loan just because you have a purchase order. 
they're looking for specific kinds of businesses to loan to. And if your credit is not great, they're not going to give you anything, even if you have a PO. So you want to look at those alternative sources of funding and you want to work with the people that have these relationships and that aren't going to have to take six weeks, two months, three years to find a solution for you. Work with the people and ask the questions. Do you have resources that are going to help me continue the growth in my business? What's going to happen if tomorrow I double my business? If you don't know how to help me, what do you, what's the benefit, right? I'm investing in you, whatever it is that I'm investing in you. And if you can't help me, there's nothing valuable in return. So what benefit is that? Because if you end up imploding on your own success. I would love to know if you could talk a little bit about what small businesses can do to stop wasting uh, money on marketing that doesn't work. So let me ask you, how many of you that are listening have spent money on Facebook ads, Google ads, you name the channel. Okay. A lot of you I'm betting that are listening to this uh, program have invested money or spent money, depending how we're looking at it on those platforms. But let me ask you another question. What is the return you're getting? How many of you are at least getting your investment back? How many of you are getting 2X back? Most people are advertising on all of these platforms because they follow herd mentality, right? Some gurus said, you got to advertise on Facebook. You got to advertise on Google. You got to advertise on Bing and Insta posts and everything else. It may work for them. Doesn't mean it's going to work for you, right? So many people are following the herd. They're not paying attention. It's like how many lions are chasing that gazelle, right? There's only so much of that gazelle that can be eaten that not every lion is going to be in a position to feast after the hunt, right? There's only so many clients that are out there for all of these businesses that are advertising on Facebook, that are advertising on Google. And by you competing against everybody else and with it being a bid, right? I am bidding to catch someone else's business which means that I'm willing to spend $10 on this lead. I'm willing to spend $50 on this lead just because I have to bid in order to be seen. And then what? How many of those are not even real people? How many of those are bots that are clicking your ad because I can set it up to do that? And by the way, guys, something you don't know, Facebook has in its rules and it's terms of service, you're not allowed to audit their reports. How many of you knew that? I'm willing to say zero because all of us just click the checkbox. I agree to the terms, right? So if you see Facebook's system says, you got a thousand people last month or during this reporting period that clicked your ad. How are you validating that? You can't. 
How many of you can know that that traffic isn't coming from your competition? Because by the way, when you're putting in information, you're putting in behaviors, you're putting in demographics, you're putting in interests. If I'm a direct competitor, I probably have similar interests to what you have. So you may very well be targeting me. And if you're willing to spend $50 on getting me, you don't think I'm going to make you spend $50 to get me? Now let's look at marketing that is not going to make you increase your investment. Let's take a florist as an example here, okay? Maybe there's a couple of florists on the line with us and you guys are going to be getting a million dollars in value right now. So guys, take out a pen and paper. And by the way, even if you're not a florist, take out a pen and paper and start paying attention to those, some of the ideas that we're doing here. So in the floral market, there are two main industries that they focus on. The bridal and the not so happy one. I'm sure you use your imagination, you can figure it out. Let's focus on the happy one, the bridal market. In the bridal market, there's a lot of steps that are involved, right? There's the step, the guy is going to be getting the ring. He's going to be proposing. Very often when he proposes, he may have flowers with him, right? So now strategic partnership guys, joint venture, amazing strategy that I use with my clients. Take that florist, team up with the jeweler. Now what I do with the jeweler is both of you start referring each other. Hey, you're coming in, you're gonna be proposing, great. Do you need a ring? The jeweler next door is gonna give you a deal if you you know, come in and say that I sent you. The jeweler, the jeweler, the florist next door, you really want to come with flowers. It's just going to make the environment that much more romantic, that much happier, whatever. You want to do it in an event? Create a relationship with local restaurants, right? Start having the connection there. And look at everybody down the channel that you're couple is going to be dealing with, right? The photographer, the officiant, the DJ, the caterer, the hall, the uh, everyone that's in that circle. Find out who they are and think outside the box. The prenup attorney and the premarital counseling, right? Because that may all be important to the couple. And if you give the couple a sheet that says, here's our trusted vendors. What did you do? You created an, an immediate value because I now have hours that I don't have to spend finding people. I now have the, uh, the vetting that you guys did to come up with this list. And I may be getting a little bit of a discount by using you guys, all of the people on that channel, because I no longer have to go shopping to everybody. And so the customer acquisition cost can be passed along as savings, right? How much are you spending getting a client? If you're spending $50 getting a client, or you're spending $10 getting a client, or you're spending $1,000 getting a client, you can look at that and then take that kind of a discount because you're already going to be spending that anyway. 
but you don't have to. You can say, what if I don't want to use that whole investment, right? The whole savings. What if I want to say, I'm only going to give 25% of it. You see now, you don't have to keep spending money on marketing that isn't working. And that's only one strategy. I have eight strategies that I work with with my clients on how they can start looking at their business and increase their business. Stop worrying about price. Stop worrying about competition. Stop driving your business to be the Walmart model. Because I'll tell you, if you're the lowest um, company out there, lowest price, guess what? Remember, by the way, guys, Kmart started as the lowest priced retailer. Some guy down in Benton, Arkansas, right? Arkansas, I think so, uh, said, I'm going to be the lowest priced. So Walmart became the lowest priced. Amazon is competing on that. Target is competing on that. Jet is competing on that. There are so many companies that are trying to drive the omni lowest cost provider. You're never going to win. And if you're looking to stand out from the crowd, your messaging is going to fall flat as soon as you're no longer the lowest price. So stop doing it. <laughs> That's great. Uh, I love the analogy of the florist. That's great. That's something everyone could relate to. Uh, joint ventures, collaborations are incredible. It's actually what we're doing right now. So our relationship here is an example of we connected on LinkedIn. We had an initial call. We set up an interview and we both know, we, we don't know what the future will bring, but we both know there'll probably be some type of way to help each other. And, and I hope people could see that and then do the same for themselves. Um, and by the way, I hope they call Jennifer to get those other seven principles that you have uh, to help them in, in their business. The key thing here really is networking versus relationship working, right? How many of you are going to events and somebody comes up to you and they say, here's my card, call me, we'll do lunch. And then goes on to the next person says the exact same thing. I know I get that way too often. They don't even take a second to ask me what my name is. They just want me to have their information and go on. In networking, that is basically what it is. You're not driving any value. I said before in the LinkedIn conversation we had, always be delivering value first. Never ask in a sale or anything before you can deliver value. If I look to create a relationship instead, I'm going to say, Roger, it's very nice to meet you. Tell me about yourself and how can I help you? And by the way, I'm not meaning as me helping you directly. I'm meaning, Roger, what are three goals that you have for this year? Whether it's business or personal, what are your goals? And if you tell me, for instance, you're a startup business and you have no budget for anything. Right, you're operating completely on a shoestring budget. You tell me, I need to get my logo set up. I need to get some marketing collateral set up, but I'm, market, I'm working on a shoestring budget. That's a need I have, right? 
Guys, most of you on the podcast would probably be aware of Fiverr.com, F-I-V-E-R-R.com. You can get gigs in increments of $5. The idea behind Fiverr is I am not connected to Fiverr. I am not deriving benefit from Fiverr, but I am telling you because you told me you need business cards and a logo and whatever, you know, done for you on a shoestring budget, look at Fiverr. Why did I do that? Because I immediately created value. And it's not for me, right? Law of reciprocity will eventually kick in and they will want to work with you for whatever you have to offer. But never be going in, here's my card, call me, let's do lunch. Because you're not offering value, right? If all I'm doing is going out to lunches, all I'm going to be doing is gaining 20 pounds, right? I'm not getting value by sitting down for lunch if I don't even know what they're offering. You know, I have people that come up, here's an art brochure. And do you care what I am? No. So there's a very big difference. And when you're in a chamber of commerce, the other benefit of a chamber is also the credibility that it brings. If you're in certain groups, you're in a chamber, those groups are adding credibility to your business. They're adding credibility to you because the chamber is looking at you and saying, you're a valuable member of our community. We want you to be part of the business community. And for those people, it's very careful. The other thing also is a chamber, people know if I have a problem with a chamber member, I usually can reach out to the chamber and they can try and mediate. Another way of looking at the triple B, but the triple B, anybody can get qualified. Great. Yeah, no, and I, you know, as as you're talking about both of those items, one of the things that comes to mind is, no pun intended, mindset, right? A lot of this has to do with mindset and ego and, you know, some of the old ways of people doing things or teaching are are not relevant anymore. Um, And I believe it starts, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, it starts with humility. You know, it starts with, like you said, offering value first. Don't put yourself first. Put the person you're talking with first and really listen to them. Be present with them. Be aware of their needs and think of, you know, if, if they do have a need, a resource to to be of service, as you just mentioned with Fiverr. Absolutely. And you really need to put ego aside. So many of us, like we said earlier, it comes down to it's all about me, me, me. We love talking about ourselves. We love hearing ourselves. We love patting ourselves on the shoulder. Once you start realizing, though, that you're talking with someone that can be a benefit for you. And by the way, by not selling immediately, you're going to set yourself apart. Because if you're in a room full of people, so many people are going to be trying to sell you. But if you are asking, Roger, tell me something that I can do for you. And I don't mean that I can do for you for my business. I mean, what can I do for you? right? In whatever manner. And one of the questions, by the way, I very often ask for a B2B uh, person is the three goals. 
for you know someone who's in the B2C side, I'm going to ask them um, sometimes the same thing. Sometimes I'm going to ask them, no, tell me more about yourself. And I don't mean, oh yeah, I'm a mortgage broker with XYZ Bank. I mean, tell me who the person is. You know, I had a call earlier, um, a coaching process, uh, discovery call with someone earlier. And I told her at the very beginning, I said, look, I already saw your LinkedIn profile. I saw your website. But tell me more who you are than what's there. Because you're a lot more than a 2D person, right? We have a lot more that has absolutely no relevance to what we're putting on LinkedIn, what we're putting on our website, what's on Facebook. If you can show me that, now all of a sudden you start creating the relationship. And again, it gets to the value. What is it that I'm offering? I'm giving you the opportunity to talk about yourself. I am making you do the thing that we love doing most. Sure, you may ask me the exact same question after, right? All right, so I told you about me. Tell me about you. It's like the first date question, right? But here, it's first date in business. As one of my mentors, Ryan Dice from Digital Marketer says, you're not going to go up to a woman in a coffee shop, or sorry, you're not going to go up to a woman and ask her to marry you without having coffee first, right? You have to get to know the person before you can even ask about business. Yeah. No, that's great. And I, actually, I'd love to do a little plug here because, um, you know, podcasting is just a wonderful way to allow people to talk, right? I mean, look at this forum we have right here. Um, your time is very valuable. I appreciate your time, but we're gifting your time to thousands of others who are listening to this. Um, and I want people to think about that in their business. It doesn't matter what business you're in. You could become a podcaster, have these types of intimate conversations and interviews that allows your guests to speak. And again, if you form friendships that way, and I, I just, I think we're on the, you know, just the tip of the iceberg with podcasting too. So um, please folks uh, think about that. So Jennifer, uh, we're running out of time here. I do have two last questions I'd love to squeeze in. The first one, please tell us about your book. Um, it's the bottom line that matters, quick tips and strategies you can use right now to grow your business in the next 12 months. So my book, uh, It's the Bottom Line That Matters, is really a lot about the different strategies and how they've been put into place uh, for uh, businesses to really start increasing their business. I mentioned earlier that there's eight strategies that we primarily employ. Each of the chapters in the book go to what those strategies are. And it's a way for you to start seeing how you can get the value for you to get started. You know, it's available on Amazon. It's available at Barnes and Noble. It's available so many different places. Look it up. And, you know, if you only take the $24.95 to invest in the book, buying the book, and that's what you start with. So many people ask me very often, listen, I only have $1,000 to do. What should I do? Get my book first, because at least you'll get to know what you're going to have and start finding the strategies 
And then we can fine tune what you're doing once you have revenue coming in from those strategies you've already implemented and pour more gasoline on the flame to help you grow even more. Awesome. Uh, I'd love to do a follow-up, maybe a LinkedIn Live, so we could talk a little bit more about your book uh, next time. Also, um, quickly, if you can, a little bit about your e-learning system. So my e-learning system is called bgsiacademy.com. Again, bgsiacademy.com. And it's got a lot of these strategies, the tools, the tips that I use with my clients to help them grow their business. And if you go to bgsiacademy.com, and Roger, you're going to put the actual link um, below, and you use a coupon code AmericanReal uh, as the uh, promotional code. When you sign up, I'm going to be gifting the first 25 listeners that sign up before March 31st, 2020, um, with a free 30-day uh, trial subscription to the bgsiacademy.com program. It's a value of $97. And when you get in, start taking advantage of what's there. See what you find, see what really makes sense and make sure you try out the roadmap because the roadmap is a scientifically proven system that will help you find those areas in your business for you to focus on first. So if you answer those questions honestly, it'll show you exactly you wanna start here and that's where the program will start working with you. Again, bgsiacademy.com, incredible resource and uh, free to the first 25 users, a free month of service valued at $97. So I really urge you to sign up using American Real at the link below. Welcome to the American Real family. Jennifer Glass, thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me.